It's Friday, January 24th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. House Democrats are eyeing the clock as they prepare to wrap up their opening arguments in the Trump impeachment trial. It's been a long few days, and now it's really down to the wire. We'll break down the case Democrats have been trying to make here. Then we'll explain why President Trump showing up to the March for Life rally is such a historic moment. And finally, we'll fill you in on some of the backstage drama going on ahead of the Grammys. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today, Democrats are wrapping up their third and final day of opening arguments in President Trump's Senate impeachment trial. By the time they're done, they'll likely have spent 24 hours presenting their side of the story. And depending on your cable news outlet of choice, the trial is either the biggest story around... President Trump on trial. Donald Trump's impeachment trial is now officially underway. Or utterly skippable. Here it is, 9 p.m. in the D.C. swamp, 6 p.m. out on the West Coast, and the Schumer-Schiff-Sham show is still going on. It's not our job to judge the case Democrats made, but we have been keeping up with the trial. This weekend, President Trump's lawyers will start defending the president. But before they do... Let's look back at the case Democrats made this week. Remember, President Trump was impeached by the House of Representatives last month on two charges, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. And Democrats this week recapped their evidence for impeachment and made a fresh case for convicting Trump on those charges. If Trump were to be convicted, he'd have to step down from office. Yesterday, we heard from House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler on the abuse of power part. A president who uses his office to ask for or even worse, to compel foreign nations to meddle in our elections is a president who attacks the very foundation of our liberty. That is a grave abuse of power. And today, we heard from New York Representative Hakeem Jeffries on obstruction of Congress. The president tried to cheat, he got caught, and then he worked hard to cover it up. A lot of the evidence Democrats presented about the two impeachment charges this week wasn't new. That's partly the result of Senate Republicans delaying a decision on whether to admit new evidence until after opening arguments. Also, the Senate doesn't necessarily need to see new evidence to decide whether to acquit or convict the president, since the House already found enough evidence to warrant an impeachment. For both those reasons, Democrats this week talked about some familiar topics, like President Trump's phone call with Ukraine's president, the withholding of U.S. military aid to Ukraine, and efforts to fire the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. That much was predictable. But what wasn't was the Democrats mounting a defense of former VP Joe Biden and his son, Hunter, something that they'd largely shied away from doing before. The Bidens have played an important role in the impeachment story from the start. Hunter Biden was on the board of a company in Ukraine that had a bit of a sketchy reputation. And Trump has accused Joe Biden of being corrupt for wanting a Ukrainian prosecutor probing that company fired. Republicans have argued that American presidents should care about stopping corruption abroad. And so it was totally cool for Trump to ask Ukraine to look into Hunter's company. Up until this week, Democrats hadn't spent much time during the impeachment hearings directly defending Hunter Biden. They hadn't spent much time defending Joe Biden either. But with Trump's lawyers expected to start directing fire at the Bidens in their opening arguments this weekend, Democrats tried to get in a first word. On Thursday, one of seven Democrats making the case in the Senate, Texas Representative Sylvia Garcia, defended Hunter Biden, saying he hadn't done anything wrong. 
And Garcia also defended Joe Biden, saying any claim that Joe Biden acted improperly was also false. There is simply no evidence, nothing, nada, in the record to support this baseless allegation. Pundits have said Democrats merely mentioning the Biden name is a risky strategy. Talking too much about the Bidens could distract from what Democrats say is the real problem here, Trump. Making the Bidens a bigger deal could also strengthen Republicans' calls to call in the Bidens as witnesses, something else that Democrats don't want. Finally, anyone making a 24-hour-long case for anything would probably want to pep it up with some unforgettable lines. Seven Democrats have been taking turns at the mic this week, and each of them has tried to create a few viral moments. But one has been getting a ton of coverage. It came yesterday from Jerry Nadler when he made the big picture case for why Democrats had no choice but to pursue impeachment. The Constitution is not a suicide pact. It does not leave us stuck with presidents who abuse their power in unforeseen ways that threaten our security and democracy. So what's the skim? Democrats are just about finished making their opening arguments in President Trump's Senate impeachment trial. A lot of the evidence brought up this week wasn't new, but Democrats have tried to present it in new ways to try to raise the stakes. But whether that means Democrats convinced any Republicans to change their minds on impeachment is a separate story. This week, Senator Rand Paul tweeted that the longer Democrats like Adam Schiff keep talking, the more Republicans are uniting around President Trump. And even though senators are banned from using their phones during the trial, as in, keep your eyes up front, reporters in the room say they've spotted a few Republicans playing with fidget spinners, one reading a book, and another falling asleep. So despite the historic stakes here, not everyone's on the edge of their seat. But if you just can't get enough impeachment, we're here for you. We've got a guide on everything to watch up on our website at theskim.com news. Today was the 47th annual March for Life. Tens of thousands of anti-abortion activists marched through the National Mall in Washington, D.C. to protest the Supreme Court 1973 decision, Roe v. Wade. And they carried signs that said things like, no human is a mistake and unborn lives matter. And this year, protesters heard from a special guest, President Trump. For 47 years, Americans of all backgrounds have traveled from across the country to stand for life. And today, as President of the United States, I am truly proud to stand with you. This is the first time a sitting president has actually attended the anti-abortion rally. Before that, other presidents like Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush phoned it in, literally. They talked to the crowd on the phone. Some say they probably wanted to avoid alienating more moderate conservatives. Here was Reagan in 1988. We're told about a woman's right to control her own body, but doesn't the unborn child have a higher right than that is to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Even though past presidents have shown just enough support to the anti-abortion crowd to at least send a fond message, the Trump administration has been more forthcoming in its support for the march. In 2017, Mike Pence became the first sitting vice president to speak in person at the March for Life. Because of all of you and the many thousands who stand with us in marches like this all across the nation, life is winning again in America. The next year, Trump became the first sitting president to speak at the rally by live video. 
He was just a couple miles away in the White House Rose Garden, but he decided to get beamed in instead. The March for Life is a movement born out of love. You love your families, you love your neighbors, you love our nation, and you love every child, born and unborn, because you believe that every life is sacred. Trump's in-person appearance today comes at a crucial time, because anti-abortion activists seem to be having a moment right now. Remember, the reason abortion is legal in the U.S. is because of a 1973 Supreme Court case called Roe v. Wade. And in a little over a month, the Supremes are going to hear the first big case challenging that right, since Trump appointed two new conservative justices to the court. Many anti-abortion activists hope they'll support restricting abortion. But just because anti-abortion activists see momentum on their side, it's important to point out that polls in recent years show that the majority of Americans support a woman's legal right to choose abortion in most or all cases. A 2019 Gallup poll found that about 80% of Americans support abortion rights. And Pew Research Center found that more than 70% want the Supremes to uphold Roe v. Wade. So as the 2020 campaign ramps up, abortion rights could end up being a big talking point. Anti-abortion activists are pushing for more abortion restrictions at the state level. On the presidential stage, whoever is elected might get to nominate another justice to the highest court, who could influence what happens to abortion rights nationwide. Talk about high stakes. You're saying that some of the artists who are going to be on stage on Sunday night may have gotten there through improper channels. Uh, that is true. Yeah, bit of a dramatic pause there. That's Deborah Dugan speaking to Kate Snow last night on NBC Nightly News. She's talking about the Grammys, which airs this Sunday night on CBS. No, Dugan hasn't won Song of the Year, and she's not about to drop the hottest album of 2020. She's the former head of the Recording Academy. That's the organization that puts on the Grammys. And last week, after just five months on the job, she was put on leave. The organization accused her of bullying her former assistant. But now, she's got her own song to sing. Dugan says that the Academy is a boys' club and alleges that during her short time there, there were issues of sexual harassment and gender discrimination and that the Grammys are rigged. So the Grammys have come under fire before for things like the lack of diversity. In 2018, only one woman won one major award. Out of all 86 awards that year, only 17 were won by women or women-led bands. Cue the outcry. So then a lot of artists and execs called for the Grammys to get a serious makeover. And it seemed like part of that revamp was actually why Dugan got hired in the first place. She's the first woman to be president and CEO of the Recording Academy. And she replaced a guy who faced heavy criticism for saying that female musicians and executives need to, quote, step up if they want to receive greater recognition. So drama has been bubbling up for a long time. But Dugan says the problems run deep. Now, it's not just about who wins the Grammy, but about who even gets nominated in the first place. Dugan alleges that there are major conflicts of interest and that the nominating process is controlled by people in power, like board members, producers, and lawyers. Like, she says that if a producer really wants a certain artist to perform on the show, that artist may end up getting a bump on the ballot over another artist. And she also says that sometimes, the musical artists that are being considered for a nomination are actually in the room while the nominating committee meets. Which could mean that a lot of deserving artists are potentially getting snubbed. 
Dugan alleges that there's a reason why huge artists like Ariana Grande and Ed Sheeran weren't even nominated for Song of the Year, that they were sidelined by board members who were exerting pressure on who should make that list instead. According to the Academy, they're playing fair. And saying that they go to great lengths to ensure a fair nominating process without any conflicts of interest from its deciding members. But yesterday, the Academy's own diversity task force that was hired to look into diversity issues released a statement that appeared to express support for Dugan and said that, quote, the Academy's board of trustees and leadership must immediately commit themselves to real reform. TBD on how they'll respond. In the meantime, the show must go on. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks so much for listening this week, and don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us online. A lot of news happens over the weekend. So to catch up first thing on Monday, sign up for our morning newsletter, The Daily Skim. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. You can sign up at theskim.com.